Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com or FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch With Jen and Friends. If Watch With Jen is the studio track, this is the acoustic version. Today's guest is Jedediah Ayers, an author, blogger, bibliophile, and veritable crime movie encyclopedia. Peckerwood novelist Jed Ayers has contributed his fiction to the acclaimed Thug Lit and is a regular, valuable fixture on Blake Howard's many stellar podcast productions, starting with One Heat Minute. An intelligent and funny film buff I first met through Twitter friends Jordan Harper and Travis Woods, who, along with Jed, form my new badass Missouri native trio of friends. They should really start a band or something. In addition to everything else, Jed runs the knockout crime movie and book blog, Hardboiled Wonderland, which I've linked to in this post and have been honored to contribute to in the past. As friendly as he is generous, Jed is just as likely to send you some old YouTube links to Elmore Leonard movies from the 1990s as he is sending people cool old crime books from his collection. And I'm very excited to welcome him to Watch with Jen. Jed, thanks for coming back. How are you doing and how are you adapting to the ongoing pandemic here? Uh, Last time I was on the show was early in the pandemic. And I said that uh, I was actually doing okay that this pandemic, like if this type of apocalypse maybe is the type I was made for. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I still hold by that. Like I'm probably been doing better than a lot of folks who go crazy if they can't get out of the house and things like I'm very much love doing things in the house, but I will say right now I'm cracking up. I'm starting to really, the cracks are showing in the yeah. household, especially as it's getting cold. It's a very small house that we're in. And my wife and I spent all spring, summer, and fall sitting on the front porch as much as possible. Oh, gotcha. And, and we, now you can't, can't do it. We can't do that. Can't really do that now. And we're beginning to beginning to have, have some some little little cracks and breakdowns that we weren't uh weren't experiencing early, but um, how are you doing? How I is doing your fine. pandemic doing? Yeah, I am what? going a little stir crazy. I mean, I write from my home, so I'm used to being homebound, but not being able to just go out and see friends and do things. Yeah, it's it's definitely getting to me. I feel like the longer 2020 is dragging on, the more like nuts everybody is getting it's like okay we need the next year we need to turn that page so i'm hopeful that once 2021 starts maybe we'll take a little bit of a breath and i don't know start looking at the hopeful signs of the vaccine and yeah hopefully yeah yeah i think maybe i've i've paid for my last haircut i think i think i've i've taken to the uh the doing doing it myself okay uh, Hey, it looks great. Yeah. It, enough. It looks it looks okay. It's it's balding. It's uh it, and that's that's spreading this time next year. I don't know. Don't know if I'll have. I'll I think have we'll all there, be bald uh, next year, Jed. Like if this keeps going on, we'll all just be hairless. Yeah. Yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe so. Uh, my kids definitely had very long hair for oh. a while. You know, very very long for them, and uh, so yeah, it's been it's been a uh, 2020 is the year. 
historians will agree hairstyles changed yeah. dramatically. I know. Hopefully it goes more 70s. That's that's my hope. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know this month you're doing Merry Crimes Miss at Hardboiled mm-hmm. Wonderland. So please, for those listening who may not know, what is it? And are you working on anything new or planning something else that you can give us a sneak peek on? Uh, Merry Crimes Miss is just, a, just an excuse to talk about crime movies that are also Christmas movies. And by Christmas movies, I mean, they take place at Christmas. They have some kind of reference to Christmas. We did uh, uh, one that had a uh, covered Shane Black's script for um, Last Action Hero the other day. And I really think it's, other than Last Boy Scout, probably the least Christmassy Shane Black movie. But the movie within a movie at the beginning of the movie is takes place at christmas um, I'll, I'll take that so yeah. very loose very loose uh structure or rules there um i don't really care yeah uh, and no i'm not working on anything so okay yeah. well <laughs> hey i'm sure it'll happen again once once this year ends we're all gonna it'll be a new us yep right yeah it's yeah. Uh, definitely there was a hard hard squealing screeching break stop uh to my creative uh, mm. writing yeah it has been tough. <laughs> with the pandemic oh. yeah oh well one of my favorite things about you is that you're such a prolific movie watcher you really know your stuff and i love that you don't differentiate between like high art and low art you celebrate it all so I was very excited when you suggested taking a look at crime movie remakes for the podcast. And true to form, you had a list that was like 10 miles long. And we may need to make another installment of this, but I thought we should just jump right in since we're covering so much territory today. So yeah. first things first, let's go with a classic film based on a classic 1958 novel by Jim Thompson, The Getaway. The first and most famous adaptation of it is director Sam Peckinpah's 1972 film with the smoldering chemistry of Steve McQueen and Ali McGraw, who fell in love during the making of the film and later married. Once she got divorced, of course, from Robert Evans. I mean, there's that old thing. Thompson's novel was adapted by Walter Hill, although Sam Peckinpah made changes that Hill objected to, but Luckily, or perhaps unluckily, for Walter Hill, the story was told one more time, adapted from Hill's script by screenwriter Amy Holden Jones. For the 1994 remake from director Roger Donaldson and starring Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger. So Jed, talk to me about The Getaway. What are your thoughts on the scripts, Thompson's novel, and the two films? Uh, I, I'm trying to think what the first Sam Peckinpah movie I saw was I think it was probably the Wild Bunch and it was in the 90s when Wild Bunch had been re-released uh and I read a Roger Ebert review um and it it made me very interested in in it and I and I watched it and I liked it I was kind of uh didn't quite know what to think about it but the name stuck in my head and I I think I think the getaway is the next one I saw and it wasn't, I, 
I may have actually seen the Roger Donaldson version first. I can't remember. I saw that one in theaters. So that was 94. It was right about that time that I saw the, uh, the Peck and Pop movie. And I got to say, it was my favorite Peck and Pop movie for a long time. For, um, yeah. Isn't he your favorite filmmaker? He probably, probably is as far as, I mean, he definitely, he made, made some stinkers. Yeah. Uh, and he definitely, um, you know, I've actually stopped trying to learn anything about him because uh, I, I know, right? I don't. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I want to be able to keep my my art and my artists uh, separate. Uh, and, you know, he sounds like somebody probably yeah. would not have wanted to spend much personal time with. But, uh, man, you sure made some great films. And I love, love, love The Getaway. It's not my favorite of his films now. And a lot of Peck and Pop people don't like it they think mm -hmm. oh that's that's peck and pop going hollywood you know making a steve mcqueen movie making you know, <laughs> i i don't i don't know it's it's definitely not as hard-edged as uh, jim thompson's book which i finally read for the first time just a couple of years ago i've never read um, it i was going to ask you about that okay yeah i've i mean thompson wrote a lot of books i mean talk about somebody like Peckinpah, who created some amazing, amazing work, also had some stinkers. Mm -hmm. you know, they and they both, I think, were that nexus of of like genius and and alcoholism or something like that. So, no, I uh, think you're right. Yeah, but uh, but uh, man, I read the book and I knew it was going to be different, especially the ending. Um, you know, the, the both movie versions from, from Walter Hill's script uh, end at about the three quarters point through the book. Uh, maybe oh, the really? two thirds mark. Yeah. Um, okay. The, the book's got a, a coda that's really, really dark um, of what happens to them once they get to Mexico. And um, okay. Yeah. It's a, uh, it it was it was great. I, so I knew it was coming. I knew it was different than the movies. But I will say there was a scene. I read it on my front porch in the summer. It was a very pleasant day when I was reading it. Uh, wide open space, fresh air flowing. And there was a scene in the book that's not in the films, but it was created such a feeling of dread and like closed in. Um, uh, claustrophobia, panic, uh, that I, I like had to set the book down on my front porch and just like breathe wow. deeply a few times. And I was like, that's amazing that I'm sitting out here in this beautiful day and, and, and feeling this way. And I will say the film Peck and Paws especially comes closest to that in the, uh, the garbage truck scene. Uh, I mean, that's a really, Mm -hmm. viscerally impacting uh, scene. It's awful. It's one of those scenes where you go, is getting away really worth it? <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, Crime does not pay at that moment. Not at yeah, all. Yeah, I mean, watching it this time, I was struck so much by the, by the opening sequence of, of McQueen in prison and how kind of fresh and clean the white, garments look and he's out in the <laughs> open air and things like that and then as soon as he's out of prison he's just thrust into 
horrible situation after horrible situation. You're like, is it worth it? Is, yeah. is the freedom worth it? Would you rather, uh, this, I don't know, kind of looked refreshingly uh, <laughs> clean and, and safe in prison. <laughs> no. What about absolutely. you? Had you seen it before? Um, the original, I had not seen the original, or I thought I did. But then when I started, I'm like, I don't think I saw this one. So maybe I did and I blanked it, but uh -huh. I was really glad to see it. Just a great movie. The original is the one that I remember watching too much when I was a kid because we rented the video and like my brother became obsessed with it. And I love the See, cast so much. You and, said the original or are you oh, talking about the remake? I'm sorry, the remake. Yes. Okay. The remake that Roger Donaldson made. He's mm -hmm. a really good action filmmaker. I mean, he made like No Way Out, which I love. And The Bank Job is a great movie. Um, he also made some that were not great, but good, like White Sands, Cocktail, 13 Days, The Recruit. And one thing I preferred in the remake was I felt like Kim Basinger's character, we, we understood her a little more than we did the Ally McGraw character. She was kind of mm -hmm. secondary to Steve McQueen. And in this way, we kind of understood their relationship was about trust and learning to trust one another again after he basically sends her to do whatever she has to do to get him out of prison. And both times she winds up having to sleep with a sleazeball. And of course, in the new version, that's James Woods. So you're very excited when um, she shoots him. But it also <laughs> co-starred Michael Madsen, Jennifer Tilly, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, David Morse, Richard Farnsworth. So I remember really responding to the actors, especially Jennifer Tilly in the Sally oh, Struthers yeah. role. She was just hilarious and sardonic. Like I remembered most her screaming Rudy's name, just Rudy, <laughs> the way she does that just <laughs> totally killed me. And so when I watched it again, I was like, oh yeah. And it was kind of crazy to watch that again, living in Arizona, because I lived down the street from the Biltmore, which oh, is wow. where, yeah, where um, Kim Basinger goes to meet James Woods and encounters the really skeevy uh, David Morse character. And of course, Phoenix Raceway. So that was kind of fun. But film wise, I mean, it's the original. That is the better film by far. It was interesting that they're both non-period movies too, because I think the tendency mm -hmm. would want to be to stay true to Thompson's um, novel. Was Did that take place in the 50s or... Was it earlier? Uh, it was at the fifties or sixties. I'm I okay. don't really remember when the book was written, but it was it took place. Yeah, it was a it was a contemporary novel. Um, I think his his themes and things like that are so great that they they really play well in like um, oh what's his name uh, who did uh, uh, After Dark, My Sweet um, James Foley. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, took a story from the the what sixties and or fifties and and put it in the the late late eighties, early nineties, and and you know without missing a mm -hmm. without missing a trick. You know, he his thrillers and like the, he did 
he didn't get into the minutiae. Yeah, yeah. There was another one. But I mean, even like the grifters required a lot of a lot more kind of minutiae about the way things work, the mechanics of of the crime. Okay. Um, whereas uh, the getaway and you know, or um, uh, after dark, my sweet didn't really require that much, uh, you know, compensating for the change in say technology and, and things like that. But, but um, they were kind of broad strokes on the, the crime details. Um, mm. But they, but they worked really well as, as, you know, modern uh, adaptations for that reason. Yeah. Uh, one thing about, about uh, the, uh, the getaway, the, the remake, uh, I think I'm I'm kind of fascinated by the decision on on Baldwin and Basinger's part because they were of course married at the time to remake a Steve McGree, McQueen, Ally McGraw, you know, film. It was like this iconic Hollywood mm-hmm. couple, and they were kind of positioning themselves as this yeah iconic definitely. Hollywood couple, you know, who could step into this uh, vehicle, and of course both couples ended up breaking up, but um, I, I, I agree with you too, that Basinger, not only is it a better role in the remake, but I think she's a better actress than Ally McGraw. Ally yeah. McGraw is fantastic to look at, but you know, not the strongest. No, she'll perform- admit that too. Yeah. Yeah. I guess she even says when she watches it back, she kind of cringes because yeah. he was making the transition from modeling and wasn't quite there yet. And I know she got better or she felt like she got better. And I think she did uh, with some more films under her belt. But yeah, this wasn't the one. It's interesting that the source material does attract people in like lovers or to position their lovers because it was supposed to be uh, Peter Bogdanovich was going to direct it after last picture show. And really? he wanted to put Sybil Shepard in the movie. And then he like changed his mind. I don't know. He got fired right along with um, Thompson who was adapting it himself, but they didn't want to make the dark Jim Thompson version. So yeah. So they fired him and then uh Steve McQueen kind of used his clout and he wanted to get Peck and Pa a hit under his belt because they made Junior Bonner, which I think came out mm-hmm. the same year that was shot in Arizona. And um, so he wanted to give him a hit and they worked together again. Yeah. So they work well together, man. They do. I, I will, you know, if that is Peck and Pa's version of, of selling out and going Hollywood, then yeah. I'm, I'm I'm totally fine with that. That was exactly. I mean, and and I gotta say, even for the Roger Donaldson film, and Donaldson's an interesting, interesting guy. You know, his early stuff, his early New Zealand. Uh, oh yeah, Australia the bounty too. Is, yeah, well, it, like that kind of kind of bridged him to to Hollywood. But stuff like, um, uh, was it? It's not Stray Dogs. It's uh. uh there was one with Sam Neill. I'm trying to think what it's called uh, with dogs in the title. And then mm-hmm. uh, there's one called smash palace. And there are these very interesting kind of small films, uh, smaller 
for the guy who would go on to be, you know, Mr. Hollywood blockbuster cocktail and, and you know, uh, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, but sleeping dogs, for the, sleeping dogs. Yeah. Smash. Palette, yeah. That was nutcase. Yeah. Yeah. Some you have a interesting good memory stuff, there, <laughs> but uh, he, uh, for the, the getaway, I think crime people kind of hardcore crime people, don't have a great take on it they you know it's 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 the gross hollywood remake of you know a sam peckinpah mm-hmm. movie yeah but really no, i get it it's a it's a it's a pretty hard but it's pretty hard-edged uh, yeah. fair fair for you know i mean i cannot see brangelina in the uh in the role you know i, I can't see another Hollywood couple, big Hollywood couple doing it and being as nasty as, as they were, you know, yeah, like he uh, hits his wife or like 45 times in a row. It's like, come on, Steve, back off. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little dark. Yeah. But so, I mean, I give, give Roger, I give Roger Donaldson uh, and, and uh, Alec and Kim uh, some credit for, for keeping it keeping it pretty hard edged. Uh, yeah. And, and, I like you know, how they handled that action scene too. Like that. <laughs> yeah. I like how they kind of handled that scene and sort of made like the answer to the original where Steve McQueen just kind of belts Allie McGraw around. And then this, mm-hmm. he does slap her because I mean, she just killed a guy, but then she hits him right back. And I think they, Basinger is a much better actress and they did kind of make their relationship a bit more interesting, but cinematically you're not beating the original. Also the Quincy Jones score is so good. Yeah. 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 Hard, hard to beat that. That uh, I feel like the, the original, even if, if people haven't seen it, I think it's also permeated a certain amount of like watching it. This time I was struck by, oh, geez, like this looks like the Coens used it for No Country for Old Men. This looks yeah. like, you know, different scenes were like, oh, this feels familiar from another movie now. Um, yeah, you know, I agree. It's gone on. So um, inspired yeah, a lot. Hard, hard. Can't can't really go go wrong with, with either one of them. I do think the Donaldson version will get in you know in 20 more years people like, i think just yeah. the just the cast mm-hmm. is going to be something that people will look back and like oh my god oh my god this they're in that and they're in that and they're and yeah. i just want to sit there and, and look at all these all these faces from the past i think kim basinger's uh career will get a, a retro uh perspective uh uh, sometime when you know at the time yep. she was doing it she was still like you know mm-hmm. probably better known for playboy and things like that than, than yeah uh, unfortunately yeah but uh you know she's made some interesting interesting roles as, as she's gotten older she's made some interesting choices and, and yes I, I do think she's she's pretty good so. she is well next we traveled to france with diabolique the 1955 french film based on the novel she was no more by, I'm probably going to butcher this, Boileau, Narsa Jacques, and written and directed by Henri-Georges Clouseau, who snaked the rights away first. So that way then 
Alfred Hitchcock couldn't make the movie because I guess he wanted to. But Diabolique, this version, did help inspire Psycho from a stylistic standpoint. The movie stars Simone Signore and the director's wife, Vera Clouseau. It's a twisty shocker that was remade in 1996 by Christmas Vacation and Benny and June director Jeremiah S. Chichik and adapted by screenwriter Don Roos with far more sapphic overtones this time with Sharon Stone, Isabella Johnny, Chaz Palminteri's in this version, along with Kathy Bates, J.J. Abrams, Donald Logue, and Spalding Gray. I saw that version first and then immediately went about looking for the original. But the obviously the original is superior here, but... Again, this one is trash, but it's fun trash. And I think it's really entertaining. Again, you're getting the benefit of a great cast. And I kind of loved the new ending, too. Did you? Yeah, I did. I mean, I appreciate the original ending, and it works so well for that movie and what they were trying to get across. But this new one with this sort of feminist and lesbian spin I thought or bisexual spin I kind of loved the payoff of this one so what did you think of this movie and this pairing and both Diaboliques uh yeah I don't think there's a question about which one is superior I do think that the the 1955 version is terrific it's Mm -hmm. black and white it's got that uh you know very atmospheric um and that oh my god the whites of of the uh paul marisot's eyes when when they're all rolled back in his head i mean it's a terrifying shock of of dark hair coming down his his white forehead and the whites of his eyes i mean it's a that's a terrifying terrifying image and um uh yeah i i really do think it's it's uh it is easy to see in relationship to uh to hitchcock they're i mean obviously uh attracted to the same same material yeah they're both very scary and very funny at the same time very funny in the way that they're they're getting you to side with people doing terrible things. To yes. Them, you know, that, I love that. Kind of the rope hu- effect. Humor. Psycho. Yeah. Yeah. Or psycho. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, maybe the most perverse moment in, in, uh, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to eat these words. I, I can, I'm, I'm not taking enough time to qualify it, but I'm just going to say maybe the most perverse moment in, in, the you car know. going down is that what you're yeah you're yeah where, yes, where I agree. the fourth wall break uh like yeah. you're with me aren't you like you're yeah. hoping i get away with it you're totally for a second you're like god car why don't you go down and then what the yeah. hell am i rooting for this for but yeah right yeah, yeah. I so i mean that. if you like if you like that that kind of thing that that uh hitchcock was was very good at and and you haven't seen uh diabolique uh, very much going to be for you absolutely um, and the 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 remake i don't think is as strong but it is like we talked about the getaway a cast that's mm-hmm. going to that has already aged very interestingly yes um i think 
God, I miss peak Sharon Stone. You know, I think oh, she, she was, was the best. Yeah, she was great. And and I, it's easy when when you've got a a, a performer who's who's working and and you can tell they're at the peak of their powers and they're. It's easy to be frustrated with what they're doing. Like, mm-hmm. why are you making this movie? Why are you making that? One? But when they're not in that phase anymore when they're not uh, getting movies made anymore. And you're like, well, what do we have? What, what's left? What did they actually do? And what can, and, and you go back and you're like, man, I just want to spend some time with Sharon Stone in the nineties or Kathy Bates in the nineties. I love Kathy Bates. Oh, she's she's, yeah. My favorite character actually. She's got some great, great lines uh, that she tosses off. So like, I just, went, I think I audibly went, oof. <laughs> she yeah. said, she was talking about her breast cancer and she's like, yes, my family never two boobs in a, in a casket. Like, I know, oh never God. two boobs in a coffin. You're like, Jesus. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. uh she's great. She um, is. And, and I love the interplay between her and Sharon Stone, who doesn't like her using the breast cancer card, so to speak. Right? Yeah. And she's like <laughs> the eyes on her when she first comes to the school. It, it's just mm-hmm. too good. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It, I mean, so Sharon Stone getting to vamp a lot and hard in a role that really does reward that kind of big performance and you know the the loud outfits and the the yeah the costuming the is so good roll. yes and uh, the way she smokes cigarettes and then I mean, she's she's probably getting like nutrients out of those cigarettes she's really yeah. sucking off hard I know so I love I love all that um so I do think it's worth having around I thought it was interesting thinking about it this time I'd not really considered it an erotic thriller uh, because it it's is. not like, got yeah it's not got the explicit like sex that you no. think of as a hallmark of, of the genre but really the sort of the interplay between the three three characters mm-hmm. I guess we should say it's it's about a um, two women both involved with the same same man who's abusive and they they decide to murder him uh, and uh, and uh, but the uh, so it's got that it's got some of the same themes that we definitely would put in that thing it but to yeah. to think the and 90s there. gave us two you know big big erotic thrillers like like high, you know grade a a list productions and and theatrical releases and things like that starring Chaz Palminteri I was going to say that I thought he was actually better then as good as uh i'm blanking on his name was in the original you have there so i'm not sure how to okay. pronounce it Mer- he's so. good but chaz palmentary yeah. is dominant on a whole other level when he makes his wife eat this just horrible food in the cafeteria like swallow yeah it's very shocking and i think you're right i didn't remember it being as and it isn't like 100% erotic by any means but they actually kind of have hate sex between him yeah. his wife and the mistress cuz you're like why are these two women involved with this guy 
And obviously there's a carnal element because it goes right from him with one to the next. And you're like, whoa. So yeah, it was shocking. And I love Sharon's outfits in this. She has like a lime yeah. green dress and uh, which I think she wears twice, which I like because usually in Hollywood movies, um, they have a different outfit for every single scene. And you see some of the same stuff repeated because these are just teachers. So I thought that was kind of cool. And yeah. Not, none is, of my teachers dressed like that. No, <laughs> probably they did not have the sharing. Yes. No. And she looks a lot like Simone Signore, I thought too. She does. She really, yeah. yeah I mean, I, I, I wonder if that was the attraction to the, well, I wonder if, if that's the genesis of it, you know, like, well, I should remake that, you know, I should, yeah. or, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I have not researched this. I do not know. Yeah. Uh, one, one detail that I thought was very interesting about uh, the 55 version um, is uh, I saw credited uh, as one of the school children, uh -huh. the French pop rock singer, Johnny Holiday. Oh, are you, you know serious? Johnny Holiday? Wow. Yeah, yeah. I do. So, yeah. so he was, he was this, uh, one of the children in the, uh, in I the thing. love and, that. Oh. Uh, you know, so I, I know him from, I don't man I don't on the train, his, Did his music. Yeah. So man yeah. on a train, which was also remade. And do you know who played know. the Johnny holiday role in that? Was it it's another musician from too? Was it Adam? Yeah. Cooley? It's Larry Mullen Jr. Oh, Larry the, Mullen the, Jr. <laughs> yeah. So, so there you go. little, little, uh, Little, little crime, lore. crime remake, yeah, pop music, uh, uh, meta element for us for sure. Well, let's keep the shady murderous lovers plot going with Alfred Hitchcock's Dial M for Murder, which was based on the play by Frederick Knott, who also wrote the film, which stars Ray Milland as a retired British tennis player who finds out that his fabulously dressed wife, Grace Kelly, is cheating on him with a handsome American crime novelist played by Robert Cummings and then blackmails an old college classmate to kill her, but everything goes wrong. This very loosely, but obviously inspired the 1998 film, A Perfect Murder with Michael Douglas in one of his great Prince of Darkness roles. Also Gwyneth Paltrow and Viggo Mortensen with David Suchet in for John Williams as the inspector trying to get to the bottom of everything. This time in the film from director Andrew Davis, who also made The Fugitive, and written by Patrick Smith-Kelly, the man being blackmailed into a, trying to commit murder is Paltrow's deceptive artist lover, Viggo Mortensen. So, Jed, what are your thoughts on these movies? There's I a like big the silence Andrew here. Davis movie better. You like the I, new I like one the better? Better. I like it better. I mean, it's. I, do I not like the Hitchcock movie? No, of course I like the Hitchcock movie. Yeah, no, I you're entitled, man. I like. I, I prefer Andrew Davis's movie. Um, gotcha. For for a few reasons. Um, first was, reason. Yeah. 
Go no, go ahead. I was going to say it was much better than I remembered. I remember not liking it in 98, but I'm thinking part of it was because it was the same year. I think that Gwyneth was also in that horrible thriller Hush. I don't know if you saw that mm. one. I didn't see that one. Oh, but nine, 98 would have been uh, Shakespeare in Love, though. Yeah. So she was in two kind of middling thrillers. And then she was also in Shakespeare in Love. Yes. And so I think I might have gotten some of my disdain for Hush mixed up with this one. Because when I watched it again, it was way mm -hmm. better than I remembered. And it was funny. I shared this on Twitter like while I was watching it. And Janet Maslin from the New York Times just chimed in and she's like, it's the director of The Fugitive, Jen. It is good. And so <laughs> that was very cool. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. It's also the director of The Package and yes. uh, Under Siege and Above the Law. Under Siege. Yes. And uh, was it Code of Silence? I mean, Chuck Norris is maybe his best movie. So I, I mean, haven't seen Code of Silence. Ah, okay. Uh, Andrew Davis is, yeah, he makes, I, I, Perfect Murder is New York City, but uh, he's a Chicago guy, and he made oh cool, you know, like you can you can kind of tell when he's doing Chicago movies, it's got the same feel as like Michael Mann's Thief, you know, and set yeah. in Chicago, and the like Chicago in the '80s especially was kind of a special uh, special locale. Um, I and, lived there uh, in the '80s for a little bit. Did you really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well. Maybe you maybe you met Andrew Davis. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, well, I would have been like very tiny, Jed. Okay. Yeah, that would have been weird. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but uh, now to get to get to the reasons why I like Perfect Murder better mm -hmm. um, is because, as you said, it's based the Dial M for Murder is direct uh, directly adapted from the play. Yes. And it feels like a play with Ray Milland going on and on you know, <laughs> talking yeah. on and on. Uh, and Grace Kelly's character is largely sidelined, at least compared to Gwyneth Paltrow. No, that is true. Yes. Paltrow yeah. gets so much more to do. She gets to solve the crime. She, she gets to, yeah, she's the, you know, she's got a much better role and um, it's not so talky. We, we get to see no. people doing things a lot more. Um, so, yes, I like the Hitchcock movie, but I really think Perfect Murder is, is better. And, and you just can't, Viggo Mortensen's going to uh, outperform pretty much anybody. yeah. In the same oh, he role, was so. so good. I know. Bringing yeah. new sides of himself in there. Very yeah. sleazy. Very sleazy. I, I, I always want to be in his corner, but but man, yep. he was sleazy in this one. I know. I think he did care about her, but it was not his primary motive by any means. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it, they did a nice job of holding that, like, does he, is he, like, yeah. is he this con man? Uh, and it, once they establish that, that he definitely is this con man, yeah. we're still going. But but he still kind of cares for her, right? Yeah. But he's, he's still kind of one. So, yeah, yeah. I don't. Uh, it's conflicting. Don't, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's but no, I like that. Yeah, it, it is really good. I loved her character in the new one because, I mean, she speaks many languages. She's trying to basically save the world is kind of the joke 
that Michael Douglas throws at her early on. And I thought it also explains their marriage a little bit better, which they also did in The Getaway. This is a recurring theme, I guess. But I still prefer the original. I think it's kind of one of those Hitchcocks where it doesn't get the love it should. I was completely with you when I first saw it, like maybe the first couple times. I'm like, this is too talky. It's just a stage play on film with a couple of really cool angles and good performances. But then I started to get really into it, especially how much he, Hitchcock I'm talking about, implies things or foreshadows elements that are going to come back like the entire sequence when he blackmails his old college acquaintance into committing this crime the way it sets up the everything and it's so subtle I thought was a nice touch I do understand for sure and you feel really bad again we have a controlling husband just like in Diabolique with the Grace Kelly character, uh, her husband kind of guilts her into staying home so she can get murdered, or he hopes. And watching that in the same span of watching Diabolique, I'm like, whoa, these are two peas in a pod. So again, with this obsession and control, which is a very Hitchcockian trait. And I thought it was kind of cool to see a different side of the love triangle, because you really like Mark played by um, Robert Cummings, I believe, in the original. And to have Vigo as the other side of the coin, I thought was cool. So this poor woman is just a magnet for dangerous men here. And yeah, it was really entertaining, much better than I thought it had been, or my memory was telling me it was. Yeah. So I understand the preference. Um, I prefer the original but still really respects a perfect murder yeah i think uh it's interesting too that andrew davis you mentioned the fugitive which it's a cross uh cross medium uh adaptation but again is arguably better than the original the original show Uh, so i mean my god that guy was on fire in the 90s so he uh, really was yeah, lots that of, was a great point, Jen. <laughs> yeah. Well, continuing with our lovers theme, the next two I'd love to discuss with you are 1949's Crisscross from Robert Siodmak, based on the 1934 novel by Don Tracy and written for the screen by Daniel Fuchs, with gorgeous cinematography by Franz Planner, which casts mesmerizing black, white, and gray shadows on actors Burt Lancaster, Yvonne DiCarlo, and Dan Duryea, the, as the New York Times dubbed, heel with sex appeal. And then the 1995 remake, The Underneath, by director Steven Soderbergh, screenwriter Sam Lowry, and actors Peter Gallagher, Allison Elliott, and definite 90s heel with sex appeal, William Fickner. Soderbergh is famously unhappy with this version. When I first wrote about the film as I was working on my thesis on Sex, Lies, and Videotape, I found that this was the movie that made him walk away from traditional Hollywood studio filmmaking. He made Schizopolis as a palate cleanser 
and then just started to write and write some of them and shoot his own movies. He was his own cinematographer. I will say that the underneath is not great, but it isn't the disaster that he thinks it is. So what did you think of Criss Cross and the underneath? I, uh, I totally agree that uh, the underneath is not great. It's, no. um, but it's, it's not bad. No. It's really not bad. It's another one with the, the cast that uh, you talk, um, uh, especially, I think we'll come back to it for William Fickner. Um, yes. Uh, you know, if, if uh, I think he was the element that was better than Dan Duryea in, in crisscross. Uh, yeah. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to come out and, and just say that, that, um, okay. uh, and I'm, what a start to his career. Uh, yeah. If you look at his, like, this was 95. Uh, his first film credit is 94 in Robert Redford's Quiz Show. Is it and really? Then, okay. But William Figner was in Quiz Show, and then 95, he's in a Soderbergh movie, even though, you know, that's not the draw in 95 that it is now. Uh, and um, Heat, Michael Mann's Heat. And, yes, he is. Uh, Catherine Bigelow's Strange Days. Mm-hmm. And he's also in uh, Virtuosity opposite Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe in 95. So in 94 and 95, he's worked with Robert Redford, Michael Mann, Catherine Bigelow, you know, that and the casts of all those movies, Steven Soderbergh. What, and he's almost 40 years old at the his first. That's first, amazing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Screen credits. And I think. What I, he's somebody I think will be will be revisiting. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously for Soderbergh, we'll be revisiting the underneath for years. But I, I think William Fickner um, is a pretty great that guy uh, yeah. character actor, and uh, and I do think he he's bringing something uh, interesting to the film. But Criss Cross, I watched for the first time for this podcast. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I was aware that the underneath was uh, a remake. Um, I had never seen I'd never seen crisscross. So I uh, I mean, it's been on my list to see and I haven't you know, it's not popped up on my, my streaming uh, catalogs. And I look for it at the library once in a while. and I haven't found it. But I, I rented it to to watch for this, and I, I watched it a couple of times. I really, really enjoyed it. I uh, love yeah. Burt Lancaster. Uh, even though Burt Lancaster, he does that that kind of thing where, like, nobody is like that. <laughs> like, this guy is acting. Oh, okay, uh, acting with a capital A. Acting so. with a capital A. He's, <laughs> he, he's never, ever... In anything I can think of, come across as natural or okay. kind of, <laughs> but but I like him and I'm I'm drawn to. I mean, brute force is an all timer and oh and, yeah, uh, um, uh, he was From in here a, to you know some of those yeah some yeah. of those Frankenheimer movies like The Train. And, oh, I and, love uh, the Seven train. Days in May. Yeah, I mean, yes, and The Swimmer, of course. Uh, oh, I mean, yes. and there's all kinds of levels of acting going on in that movie, but they're all capital A. Um, <laughs> but uh, the killers, the, another Robert uh, side Mac uh, movie that I really, really like uh, Chris cross is very similar. 
to the killers. I agree with you. Yes. I had actually seen Crisscross for the first time a couple months ago in October and really loved it. But then when we were going to talk about it, I decided I'm watching it again. Like I had an excuse. So Mm -hmm. I was really excited to do that because both of these movies play the underneath and Crisscross play with the concept of time and they jump around and it was kind of cool to watch them back to back. I thought that the underneath was slightly more confusing in that respect. The narrative is a little clunky. The cinematography is really good. And Soderbergh even has said that. He's like, it's a good looking movie. You know, like the shots are good. But yeah, he was not a big fan. So what did you think about the two endings? And had you read the book that it's based on? I had not read the book. Um, And uh, hands down, the uh, the crisscross ending is my favorite. That's yeah, the fatal. That's a fantastic noir noir ending. That's just just beautiful. Um, And I understand if you're making remaking a a, you know a classic, um, especially one that's 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 particularly strong in one one area that that you maybe want to try to not go head to head with it in in its strongest suit mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know yeah. come up with something a little little bit different. Little different uh so i don't hate i don't hate the uh don't hate the underneath or the ending at all but um but there's no comparing the impact um the crisscross has got just a fantastic fantastic um uh ending conclusion uh, yeah yeah and um yeah, I uh, and Yvonne De Carlo, uh, I had to look her up. I was like, "What have I seen her in?" She was yes. really captivating, and it and it was very like, magnetic. Lily Munster. <laughs> Are you serious? The, I didn't even put that together. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, the mom from the Munsters. Wow. Uh, yeah, she's man. That lady was, has range, people. Yes. <laughs> I know. Well, okay. Lastly, how about we bring some Ronin or Samurais and Cowboys into the proceedings? So this time we have a triple feature of Akira Kurosawa's 1961 masterpiece, Yojimbo, with Toshiro Mifune, which spawned the sequel, Sanjuro. The film inspired by the writing of Dashiell Hammett, including the 1931 novel and excellent 1942 film noir, The Glass Key, as well as Hammett's 1929 novel, Red Harvest. Now, Kurosawa acknowledges Glass Key more than Red Harvest, but there are some striking similarities. Yojimbo was unofficially remade as 1964's Spaghetti Western, A Fistful of Dollars by Sergio Leone and starring Clint Eastwood. And the fact that they didn't get permission from Toho, the company that made Yojimbo, did cause a lawsuit. Once again, writer-director Walter Hill, who we talked about in regards to The Getaway, took a crack at the screenplay and decided to make the Western Last Man Standing, which he also directed in 1996 with Bruce Willis, Christopher Walken, and Bruce Dern which I thought I had seen, but quickly realized I had not. 
So that was actually my least favorite of the trio because I thought it was just a narrative mess and tonally uneven. Like it's kind of jokey one minute and then it's like a revenge movie the next. But I did love the action scenes, which I thought were probably inspired by John Woo. This was around the time that Walter Hill wanted to remake The Killer, which he didn't end up doing. And I also really responded to the great Ry Cooter score. All three of these movies have excellent scores. I think that's a huge strong suit of the all three of them. So what did you think of the movies, Jed? So I will say I came to them in reverse order. Okay. I, I saw uh, Last Man Standing when it first came out. Um, and I wasn't... I. I would have known some of Walter Hill's movies, but I didn't know the name Walter Hill at the time. Okay. Um, you know, I was attracted to, oh, it's Bruce Willis. Yeah. It's an action movie. And it's yeah. very, yeah, well, it's very clearly, you you hit the nail on the head. It's very clearly trying to do John Woo mm-hmm. action in a, in a Western film. And by Western, I mean like, like a Western hemisphere uh, film which a lot of people were trying to do at the time. And most of them were doing a a pretty poor job of it. Um, You know, they thought if you put a gun in each hand, you know, an automatic in each hand uh, and and bullet ballet. Yeah. (laughs) That you could, you know, anybody can do this. And I think the failure of so many movies to, uh, to do it really show how, how fantastic John Woo and Regan Lamb and all you know all these these guys uh, from Hong Kong uh, were at what they were doing. Um, but I I was disappointed when I saw Last Man Standing. Me too. I, I didn't care for it. Um, I you know the the action was yeah it was really just a couple of scenes that they it, it they, is. they did yeah. that and I thought it was a weird mix. Of you know, I was like, I was looking for John Woo in uh, in you know Dust Bowl, John Woo, and I didn't, I no. didn't get it. I've watched it more since then. Okay, and I have come around. I came oh. around a few years ago, and I've watched it a couple of times since I came around, and and kind of now that I knew more about who Walter Hill was and what his. Um, interests are in 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 films his themes and and his uh the kind of material he's he's attracted to and and um i liked it i like it a lot now okay Um, sure in fact i'm going to say i like all three versions of the film all or the story i'm probably going to watch uh this one the most first okay. <laughs> or the most sure. often. Yeah. If I'm given, given the option, uh, you know, you want to watch Yojimbo fistful of dollars or, or last man standing tonight, uh, depending on who yeah, I'm with, I guess, mood. uh, yeah. if I'm, if I'm on my own, I'm probably putting on last man standing gotcha. first. Um, it's a gorgeous film. It looks amazing. The, uh, the, the, sepia toned uh yeah. stuff the the men in men in hats and and <laughs> suits and the just the dust blowing through everywhere i was 
the scenes of that like church out in the middle of nowhere uh, and there's just this like dust cloud enveloping this lonely yeah. rotten structure and it's a it's a really gorgeous film i agree the you know like bruce willis doing the the hard-boiled no uh, not my favorite you know nar- stuff uh, the the speaking uh what, what, yeah what, what that do you was call that when you uh voiceover yeah the voiceover and and you know he just he kind of now that's all he does is that whispery uh hard oh gotcha shit. yeah um that approach and so i don't like i don't like that um so much but it, i think it's a fantastic looking film it's another one of these that's got a ridiculous cast yeah everybody everybody in it is is a somebody you know a, a, a face that you like uh william sanderson and and bruce dern and uh david patrick kelly and michael imperioli's in there and i know uh, i loved Call. him yeah yeah, so I love it. I uh, I really have come around on it. There's things about it I don't care about. You know, I don't care so much about the plot. It is okay. muddy. It yeah. is you know, it's it's very uh, back and forth and 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 too too twisty. And I think you could probably say that about several of uh, uh, stuff based on Dashiell Hammett or inspired by Dashiell Hammett. I agree. Yeah. He's a very convoluted, uh, plotter. It's very intricate. Yeah. One thing you kind of hit the nail on the head right there when you were talking about the dust cloud, because that is a motif like the wind Mm -hmm. or the dust that goes through all of these movies. And when I was revisiting Yojimbo, I made the joke because I was watching it. I'm like, you know, a lot of men have walked in the wind on screen, but nobody has looked cooler doing that than Toshiro Mifune in that movie. But you see this with Clint Eastwood as well. You know, it's interesting about Fistful of Dollars. It's a good movie. I enjoy it. It's very well done. Great shootouts. There were some cool twists, that kind of thing. But that's a trilogy that actually gets better with each installment because Mm -hmm. it starts out with fistful, which is kind of like slightly above average. And then for a few dollars more, I remember really liking a whole lot. And I think that one is closer to perfect. And then of course his masterpiece, the good, the bad, the ugly. So it's one of those rare trilogies where he's sort of still finding himself as a filmmaker and they actually get a bit stronger I love Yojimbo. I am one of those people that actually prefers Akira Kurosawa's crime movies. I am with you. I'm with you. Yeah, like High and Low is probably my Mm -hmm. favorite thing that I've seen. Drunken Angel is probably my... Yeah, that's a great one as well. Yeah, and I still, I love this movie. I actually bought the box set. There was a sale going on at Criterion and they gave me a $10 gift certificate because I'd been like an early subscriber to the channel. And so, yeah, I got the Yojimbo and Sanjuro box a few months ago. So this was a nice excuse. Like, oh, I bought that for a reason, like for real. No, not just because I was hoarding it. But yeah, I think these were all (laughs) fun for different reasons. Yeah. So here's how big a Philistine I am. I didn't realize Sanjuro was a a sequel 
Oh, I did not know no, that. you're fine. I think it's, I mean, it's the same guy. It's, I have not watched I haven't seen it, so. in a while. Um, I think it was slightly more comic if memory is serving correctly. And mm-hmm. yeah, I need to revisit that. But it's so cool how ah. well his movies translate to like Westerns, mm-hmm. especially. I mean, Magnificent Seven. Sure. Yeah. From Seven Samurai. And of course, they use the same plot from Seven Samurai for A Bug's Life, even. So his stories are universal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, Dashiell Hammett's story being adapted, um, I yeah, I had always associated Fistful of Dollars and and uh, and Yojimbo and Last Man Standing more with Red Harvest. Yeah. Uh, but elements of Red Harvest are definitely um uh definitely there in um uh the coen brothers miller's crossing which is much larger uh the glass key i mean that is really the glass key with elements of red harvest and and, um like james m kane's um love's lovely counterfeit uh i actually saw Laura Lipman, the uh, crime writer on Twitter the other day talking about that. And I was like, Oh my God, I thought so too. I like, <laughs> went back and uh, dug up some note I'd written about love's lovely counterfeit and uh, Miller's crossing. And oh, cool. um, so I was, I was very, I was very pleased that uh, someone who knows much more than me uh, agreed no. with me, but no. um, we need to do a big Miller's that, crossing uh, discussion. Yeah, like maybe, how interesting that we get yeah. four amazingly uh, distinct uh, films with, talk about a fantastic score. Miller's Crossing has got oh, a fantastic score. one of the score. best. You know, all, yes. all four of these films have such personality in their scores and, um, and they're gorgeous looking pictures. And uh, yeah. And, and very distinct from each other, even as they're retreading, you know, similar plot elements and, and things like that. Um, I think that's pretty fantastic. And talk about a convoluted, convoluted <laughs> plot. I mean, I don't yeah. know how many times I had to see Miller's Crossing before I understood it. Now I think, oh, yeah, it's really simple. But um, no, uh, it's, it's, but yeah. It, <laughs> yeah, it's it, it takes some takes some work to to follow it. But it's oh. it's so rewarding. You don't you don't you don't mind. They're it's gorgeous to look at, and the performances are so so funny. And, and uh, I think that's my favorite. It's really hard to pick one between Miller's Crossing and No Country for Old Men when it comes to the Coens. Mm. I tend to lean towards Miller's Crossing, but No Country is the one I watch the most. I don't know. Is but, it? Yeah. So it depends. It's probably Miller's Crossing is probably my favorite of their okay. films. Yeah, I definitely prefer it to No Country. I like No Country a lot, but uh, okay, you know, it'd be like a toss-up between Miller's Crossing and Raising Arizona, or oh yeah, <laughs> uh, Big Lebowski, or maybe even Blood Simple. You know, I, I love uh, love all the or Fargo. Jeez, I know I you could go through their whole stop naming their movies. Yeah, you can go through their whole filmography and you're like, my God, what what masterpieces haven't they made? But right. Yeah. And they're all so different. I mean, there's some of the same elements are kind of creeping in the same themes. But yeah, it's kind of interesting that 
they're attracted to this source material because they came up twice. And so is Mm -hmm. Walter Hill, obviously, because he came up twice. So even though he wrote the script for the getaway, and then you were mentioning how the, the getaway, you can kind of see that in the Cohen's work. I agree. Yeah. Well, speaking of, of those elements, I meant to talk about uh, with the, uh, the underneath the Soderbergh, you know, who I think is a really fascinating filmmaker. Um, One of my favorites. I, per- personally, I think he's probably a, like his real impact is maybe in editing, you know, more than, than uh, directing per se. I don't want to split hairs on, on what goes into making a film, but I think his editing is, is, kind of one of his most distinct uh distinct traits uh in his films and in the underneath you can certainly see him working toward playing around working towards stuff he'll really have down in in you know just a couple years later in uh, out of sight and and the limey um yeah so i i do think uh that he's um uh, the underneath deserves maybe a little more, a little more love than than we're sounding like we're giving it uh, for. Yeah, or he's uh, if you like Soderbergh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, certainly more than he is. Oh, but uh, yeah, yeah. It's 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 interesting to look at uh, what's very much an emergent. Yep, a stepping stone, a stepping yeah. stone of what is to come from him with Out of Sight and the Limey. Mm-hmm. For sure. And also traffic to some degree. Um, one sure, thing with the this, colors. And- that's what I was going to say. Yeah, one thing that traffic really, you knew exactly where you were in the story because of the colors being used. And this is the same way. Like it opens with that green and then there's blues. And yeah, it kind of almost goes a little French New Wave in places. So. And traffic is also another crime, crime remake. As a remake I loved of the, the British, yeah, yeah, the miniseries. And Soderbergh also what remade Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, and he produced uh, Christopher Nolan's uh, Insomnia and the Russo brothers. Uh, Welcome to Collinwood. These are all crime film remakes. Yeah, so, big deal uh, on Madonna Street, which is mm-hmm. a very good yeah. one. We might have to do an all Soderbergh episode now. No, we can do an all Soderbergh episode. Oh yeah, any day of the week. Mm-hmm. Well, are there any others that you wanted to talk about? Um, these are the ones I watched, but I don't know if you have any off the top of your well, head you want to recommend to people. I I'll save it for uh, for maybe another episode, or yeah. maybe I'll write a write something about it. But but Ooh, certainly I've got a couple of questions for you regarding. Like we focused on, these are all '90s movies. The remakes were in the '90s. Did you find anything that the night like was there anything specific to that period that you found personality-wise in these films? Or it did like when I think of uh, sometimes remakes from the '80s, mm-hmm. uh, I think okay, there's. Uh, yeah. more saxophone in this in this decade <laughs> or something like that but uh I'm, I'm curious about the 90s um because i was a teenager and then a young Me adult too. in the yeah. 90s i 
I wonder if I'm able to uh, step back, separate. Yes, yeah, step back yeah. and notice. So I was curious. Did you see any anything like that? Did you? You know, uh, now that you mention it a bit, um, I was let's say for underneath ninety five. So I would have been fourteen there, and by the end of the nineties, yeah, I'd be done with high school and into college. I see a little bit an awareness of wanting to give the women more to do than Mm -hmm. they did even like to mention another movie that Roger Donaldson made, uh, No Way Out. Like, yeah, the woman is kind of, I mean, I love that film. I love that film. I know, but she is kind of just the impetus for a bunch of shit to go down. And I think, especially with the Gwyneth Paltrow role in A Perfect Murder, and also Allison Elliott was very good in The Mm -hmm. Underneath, and Kim Basinger, they're trying to give women a bit more to do, and you really see that, especially in Diabolique. I am partial to the fashion of the 90s, so... Mm. It was kind of fun to see all the deep wine colors of uh, the burgundies for uh, dresses and lip. So there was sort of a costume or a style thing. And I miss the 90s, their love for crime movies and Mm -hmm. making thrillers. We talk about this like every week, pretty much in our pandemic movie club. But Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, I, I really enjoyed that. How about you? Was there something that you were seeing? Yeah. I mean, I think those are, I I was asking because I wanted the input. I don't, I, I was, I was interested in that aspect. You know, that's why, uh, you, you let me choose a topic and I said remakes, crime film remakes from the nineties. Now there were so many to choose from. And there were actually some that I really wanted to do that we decided not to because they're not readily available yeah. uh, to stream and, and things like that. But um, tuned everyone. Yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah, I'm i uh, I'm a little, I, I, I don't think I even have that much to contribute to, uh, to the oh, you're fine. Uh, conversation. I was, I was legitimately curious though, whether you'd, um, whether you'd, uh, picked up on anything i have a couple extra questions for you though the idea of remakes how does that sit with you do you bristle when you hear something's being remade or are you pretty good at at being open-minded and um i think i would have a problem if it's like the godfather or goodfellas a uh little bit if it's a film that i love in my soul like so deeply that would probably be but otherwise no reboots remakes it's just another version of the story but it doesn't erase the original one thing at least as far as i'm concerned what's kind of scary is we're living in this overwhelming content time period where every day there's more stuff being thrown at us and so i think our collective memory is shrinking and we might not look at the older versions of some of these and that worries me a little bit, but Mm -hmm. I'm okay with remakes as a rule. How about you? Uh, I'm, I am also okay with remakes as a rule though. I'll confess. Yeah. I, I have kind of a knee jerk reaction that I think a lot, a lot of people do. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's fair. I don't think that's a good thing that that's my, 
reaction because some of my favorite movies, like Heat, is yeah, a remake from the nineties. The Wizard of Oz is a remake. The okay. um, you know, uh, these are God. They're you know, I I would I would hate to think these people said no to these films lips. because they were because they were remakes. Um, so yeah, I'm uh, in theory. I, I like to practice being not so uh, knee-jerk, judgmental against uh, mm-hmm. remakes and adaptations. And I mean, things are there's that there's that weird thing of adapting movies to TV now, uh, which yeah. is and and so many of them are bad, but but there's also some really great stuff. Going Fargo. Uh, Fargo is easily my favorite thing on TV. Um, and, uh, yeah, it really works on, on levels that I never would have predicted it working. So, I mean, there's, there's some real singular personal personality behind a lot of it. And there's, even though it's adapted from other singular (laughs) personalities. (laughs) Yes. So it's not like, like the, you can't have good, good stuff, but I, I do have, I do have that that kind of knee jerk thing that I I'm, I'm trying to I'm fight trying against. To work on too. Yeah. Um, did you like? It didn't sound like it, but I'm gonna have to. Re- did you like any of the remakes in this list better than the originals? Um, I did not this time around. No. No. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. I'm on record. I, I, I would prefer last man standing. I would, I, I would say, I don't think it's a better film, mm-hmm. but I'd probably prefer to watch it more often. Okay. Uh, and it's, it sounds and perfect murder. I yeah. do think is actually, <laughs> which is a damn good film, but yeah. yeah. But I mean, come on, I'm, I'm putting, I'm, I'm preferring, I'm preferring this, these trashy movies to, uh, to Hitchcock and, and, uh, <laughs> Kurosawa and and Leone. I mean, that that's 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 reckless. And uh, should, oh, you're fine. We dis- know that you uh, like... discount my. No, we know you like some of their movies much better, as we already talked about. We prefer sure, yeah, all those crime films, and yeah. So it just depends on the on the movie. No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much for doing this. This was a really good topic idea and I would love to come back and do more of these because your list was so long and involving and inspiring because the nineties were especially full of these. Yeah. A lot of good, a lot of, a lot of activity there. Definitely. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com or FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen and Friends.